Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. We're going to do just a little jumping in Joshua 22. For the sake of not reading the whole chapter, I thought I'd just do a little skipping, and I'm sure you're fine with that. Amen. Joshua 22. I heard one man say not too long ago, he was preaching from 1 Samuel chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath. He said, uh, he said really, the whole, the whole chapter of Samuel 17 is my text. And he said, we say that we're going to stand for the reading of the text. He says, well, you might as well stay standing the whole time I'm preaching then. Amen. He said, because I'm not done with my text until I'm done with my sermon. And so uh, Joshua 22, I want to start with verse number 10 and just follow my lead here of how we're jumping here tonight a little bit. Hallelujah. Thank for the spirit of the Lord. Amen. I'm thankful for the spirit of the Lord. I'm thankful. You know, I come in here sometimes and I know you do the same. And I, I, I lift up hands and I lift up my voice and sometimes I don't feel nothing reciprocated. So it would be all right. Amen. But there's other times then that you do that, that, you know, whenever you reached out, without a doubt, you touch something. Amen. And I feel like that happened just in the past few moments. Reached out and absolutely touched something. Something's been reciprocated in the spirit. Joshua 22 and verse number 10, the Bible says, And when they came unto the borders of Jordan, that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan. A great altar to see to. And the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. Skip down to verse 19. Notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean. This, this is Phenus. He's, he's given a word to these two and a half tribes that had built this altar and he's telling them if the land of your possession because they're on the east side of Jordan the land of your possession be unclean then pass you over into the land of possession of the Lord because Canaan is what God had given them to be their promise to begin with he says if you feel like the land on the east side of Jordan is tainted because it wasn't included in the promise of God he says pass on over this Jordan and get into where the promise of God is he said, wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwelleth and take possession among us. But rebel not against the Lord, nor, nor, nor rebel against us in building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord God. Because there was already an altar, an altar that was in the tabernacle. The law said they weren't to build any other altar and per se put sacrifices on it or sacrifice anywhere else except where the Lord had chose. The Bible says then in verse 23, Here's their response that we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord or if to offer thereon burnt offering or meat offering or to offer peace offerings thereon. Let the Lord to himself require it. And if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, it's the reason why one of the reasons why they built their altar there. Fear of this thing saying in time to come, your children might speak unto our children saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? Because all the other Israelites would be in the land of promise while these two and a half tribes and their descendants would be on the east side of Jordan. They were for fear of that. So we're going to build an altar so that we can have something to talk about. Maybe it'll be a representative. Verse number 26, therefore we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offering, not for sacrifice, because they couldn't where it was located, but that it may be a witness between us and you in our generations after us, that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, with our peace offerings, that your children may not say to our children in time to come, ye have no part in the Lord. Verse 28, therefore said we that it shall be when they should so say to us or to our generations in time to come that we may say again. In other words, whenever then your children do tell us, hey, you have no part in the Lord. You're on the east side of Jordan. Everybody else on the west side of Jordan. This is the promised land. Then we'll say to them, behold the pattern of the altar of the Lord. An altar, mind you, that has no sacrifice, no blood, no offering. 
which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, they said, nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between us and you, for us and you. For a little while tonight, I want to preach this with exclamation. Look at our altar. Look at our altar. Now, folks, I'm going at this in a different slant than probably what it's been preached previously, or maybe you've heard it previously, because I felt the Lord prick me early this week concerning this, and I worked on it then. Look at our altar. Look at our altar. If I can say there are some that are outside of the perimeter of the promise of God with that type of exclamation today, trying to fit in with those of the promise that are saying, look at our altar. Amen. And I want to preach from that position here this evening. Lord, I come to you tonight. I'm thankful, Lord, for your spirit. Thankful, God, for the people that have gathered here tonight, God. We are honored, Lord Jesus, that they would, Lord, take time and be here. God, they have volunteered to be here, God, and they have been obedient according to your word by being here, by not forsaking the assembling of themselves together. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, give your, Lord, preacher tonight, God, acceptable words. I pray tonight to speak, to be able to utter, somehow share, God, in a meaningful way, in a way that it could be understood. God, and I'll give you the praise and glory and honor for whatever you accomplish in this place, in this house. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. And the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in the lovely name of Jesus Christ. So what we are appearing at here tonight are two and a half tribes of the 12, two and a half tribes of the 12 that were on the east side of the Jordan River, the east side of the Jordan River, away from the rest of the tribes of Israel who were on the west side of the Jordan River. Matter of fact, those tribes had crossed over Jordan in order to enter into the promise. But Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh had made a plea to Moses several, several, several uh, days ago and asked for the portions of land that were on this side of Jordan. They wanted a portion of land that was uh, outside of the promised land on the opposite border of the Jordan River. And as far as I know in my study in God's word, that that was never the original intent of God. The original intent of God was that all 12 tribes of Israel would inherit the promised land on the west side of the Jordan River. That was God's plan. That was God's intent. As a matter of fact, whenever you read the description concerning the land that was allocated as the promised land to the 12 tribes, the Jordan River is a border or a boundary of the promised land. In other words, the promised land came to the Jordan River there on the west side and stopped and did not go beyond the Jordan River to the east side. As a matter of fact, that Jordan River would go all the way down. It would, it would feed into the Dead Sea, and that would feed out into the ocean. And all of that waterway there going along that, that, that eastern side, if you would call it, of the land of promise was the boundary for the promised land. As a matter of fact, when these two and a half tribes came to Moses, said, Moses, uh, we, we would really like to stay on this side of Jordan. Moses, to begin with, was opposed to the idea of them staying on that side of the Jordan River. As a matter of fact, he objected to the idea of them staying on that side of the river because he felt what he was dealing with at this point in time was a content where we are type of attitude. He dealt like he was dealing with a I don't want to press on type of attitude. And so Moses objected to that. In Numbers 32 and 6, the Bible says, and Moses said unto the children, of Gad and to the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war and shall ye sit here? In other words, all the rest of us are going over Jordan and we're going to fight enemies and adversaries for the purpose of claiming that land over there and you're telling me we're going to be over there fighting for the promise while you sit still here on the opposite side of Jordan yet you still want to be numbered among the Israel? And you still want to be accounted as one, one of us. He said in verse 7, And wherefore discourage ye the heart of the children of Israel? 
from going over into the land which the Lord hath given them. He's saying your attitude of not wanting going any further beyond Jordan is going to affect the attitude of everybody else around here. Your attitude of just being content where you are, that, that's going to just filtrate through the rest of the nation of Israel. And Moses saying, hey boys, I've already dealt with this type of thing one time in the past. I had 10 spies that said, hey, we're not going over. And it affected the whole nation of Israel so that we spent wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. I've already dealt with this. I've already lost a generation of Israelites because of this type of very thing and attitude. But the Bible says in verse 16 then of Numbers 32, and they, these two and a half tribes, came near unto Moses and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our cattle and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves, we will go ready armed before the children of Israel until we brought them into their place. Our little ones shall dwell in fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land. They even told Moses, Moses, the land that's on this side of Jordan is very good for us in our lifestyle because we have a lot of cattle. We have a lot of livestock and this land is good for grazing. It's suitable to our way of life. Well, the land over here, this is very suitable to our lifestyle and our way of life. But, but if you're worried about us not fighting, we'll go across the Jordan River and we'll fight right alongside with our brethren. We'll fight for some of the same things. We'll fight for some of the same things. We'll uphold some of the same moral principles. But whenever the fighting is over, we're coming back over here, if you allow, and we're going to dwell outside of the land of promise. And so they pleaded Moses their case. This land is suitable to us. It's good for pasture. We have livestock. Amen. We'd like this side and not necessarily the promise side. It's complementary to the current events of our life. And so the Bible says that Moses allowed this based upon the requirements and the conditions that they still cross over the Jordan, fight alongside their brothers in the land of promise. And so they agreed, the two and a half tribes agreed, and they did just that. They went over and they fought right alongside their brothers. God gave Israel, note in scripture, we've heard it before again and again, God always told them to possess Canaan, the land of promise. God gave Israel the land of promise, but portrayed in Numbers 32, it seems as though a man, Moses, is giving these two and a half tribes the land east of Jordan. I ask you this question tonight. Would you rather settle for what you can get at the hand of man or what you can get at the hand of God? Amen. As a matter of fact, for that matter, whenever you begin to consider great father Abraham of the Israelites, how it was first spoken to him, Abraham, I'm going to give you this land. Your descendants are going to be many. You're going to inhabit the land of promise over in Canaan. It's going to be yours. Don't you think it would just be a little disturbing that there's a little disturbing indifference to see two and a half tribes, amen, wanting to go outside of what God had provided for his people, wanting, amen, to go outside of the divine word of the Lord, amen, outside of what God had prepared and planned for them. Don't that seem just a little odd to you? Yet the Bible tells us they went over, they fought, they're in battles, they're seizing and taking right alongside their brethren. Amen. I don't know if they had the same type of vigor, the same type of vitality, but the same type, because folks, it, it, if you think about it, how willing are you to fight in war for something that you're not going to claim? You fight battles that are meaningful to you. But whenever you're asked to fight a battle that you're not going to partake of any of the land or anything that's, whenever you're not partaking of the land, how, how much effort, how much fortitude, how much are you really going to pull yourself into that? And I don't have the answer for that tonight. But for seven years, for seven years, these two and a half tribes passed, amen, before over the Jordan. They, they battled all the battles right alongside their brethren. And whenever the seven years were over from fighting and, and hoarding and going through, and taking over lands. The Bible says that these two and a half tribes, Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh and Reuben, were now at liberty to return to their wives and their children and their land on the east side of Jordan, outside the land of promise. But understand tonight, when they cross back over Jordan, 
That meant for them a life of separation from the rest of, of Israel. It meant for them that they are outside of what is deemed the promised land. What it meant for them is that their lives and perhaps the remoteness of their lives due to them being away from the activity of Israel, in essence, they had a virtual independence being where they were at. They, they were less under the direction of their leader, Joshua. He, he didn't have as strong a voice as he would have if they had been in the land of promise. They're separated from that. They have isolated themselves from these things. And with that knowledge, Joshua, before he sends them back across the river because Moses had made provisions and Moses said, Joshua, you make sure you follow through. Joshua says, okay, you can go back over. But I hadn't seen him saying, now boys, you realize you're doing this, that you're outside of the promise land. I understand if you do this, you're far from the tabernacle. You're far from the temple. Realize whenever you do this, you don't have your other brothers of these other tribes around you to strengthen you and to support you that whenever you go over this he tells them in Joshua 22 and 5 I think Joshua had a little inkling a little fear in his spirit about them housing across the Jordan he says you, you make sure you do the commandment of God whenever you're on the other side of Jordan uh, don't you forget what God has charged you and told you be sure to keep loving God while you're on the opposite side of that Jordan, walk in his ways and his commandments, cleave to him, be honorable to him, be faithful to him with your heart, soul, and mind because the brethren's not going to be there. The tabernacle of his presence ain't going to be there and this ain't the promised land. So you better be sure you got a good relationship if you're going to try to live on the exterior of the promise. Joshua, I believe, had an inclination that there is some tumultuous times in the days ahead, that there's some trouble that's unseen in the days ahead. As a matter of fact, I want you to see the, 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 the forethought of the man of God and of God. God had already told them. He said, hey, the tribe of Levi, he doesn't get no portion of the land. God is his portion. And since God is his portion, he says, I want you to understand something. There's going to be cities out of your allotments of land that's going to be given to the Levites so that they'll have somewhere to live. And, and, and to begin with, folks, since God's intent was for all of that, to be in the land of promise, it should have just been Levitical cities in the land of promise. But because these two and a half tribes was on the other side of Jordan, not in the land of promise, with God's mercy, you see that there are Levitical cities on the opposite side of Jordan, not the land of promise, even cities of refuge on the opposite side of Jordan because I believe God was still trying to keep those two and a half tribes in arm's distance, in arm's reach so that they could still have some type of spiritual service through the Levites in those Levitical cities on the other side of Jordan. God was still trying to keep them tethered in to the things that be of God. Someone say amen. So he was trying to seek to keep them close to the things that are sacred and the things that are holy. But I believe he knew that there was some danger that was around the corner. And so after all the conquering was finished in the land, here are those two and a half tribes that are retreating back across the Jordan River to the lands that they desired, the lands that they begged for, the lands that were suitable to their way of life. Amen. But they did not go totally into their land without first along the border between the promise and, not, and what was not the promise. They say probably in the territory of their own land, right on the borderline between the promise and what was not their promise. The Bible says as they went back over the Jordan, back across, out of the promise, they erected themselves an altar. And the Bible says it was a great altar to see to. If I can state it like this, it was an altar for the purpose of being seen. Along the border of the promise, two and a half tribes build a large Monument for everyone to see that's in the shape of the altar that they knew in the tabernacle. Had the same appearance, had the same likeness, but it was just for show. Must 
must have been of a pretty good size for those on the opposite side of the Jordan to be able to see it. Whenever word got back to the tribes of the promise, they said to those two and a half tribes on the east side of Jordan, hey, don't rebel against God in verse 19. Don't build another altar in addition to the true altar. Hey, the law forbids this type of thing. You, you can't sacrifice on that thing. You can't make offerings on that thing. Only the place in the tabernacle can sacrifice has happened. Only at the altar in the tabernacle can there be any offerings taking place there. And so it's understood that any other altar that would be created could not be used for any religious purpose. It could only be a monument for show and to be seen. They say, hey, don't, don't get all up in arms. Don't get all upset. We've not built this altar. Look at them. Look at them now. We've not built this altar to sacrifice on. We've not built this altar to burn offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on. We just decided to build an altar so it could be seen. We just built an altar for a symbol. We're satisfied with having the symbol even if there isn't no substance. purpose of the altar was for it to be seen. Built as a monument in fashion to the real altar. No offerings would be on it. No sacrifices would take place there. Couldn't have those things because there's only one altar that's ordained. Only one altar that is sanctified for that purpose. And that was the altar that was in the land of promise. And they said here's the reason why we erected this altar Hey man, this is the reason why we as the two and a half separated tribes, but they separated themselves. Why we did this, we feared that in generations to come, that your children and our children would come together and your children that are in the land of promise would look at our children and say, hey, you don't have any part in the Lord. You don't have any part in the things of God because you exist outside the promise. You exist on the other side of the Jordan. Because the Jordan was a border to the land of promise. It was the dividing line between what was promised and what was not promised. They said because we were fearful and afraid, we built an altar that would have no function except to be seen and give the appearance that we were in relationship with your God just as much as you were. tell you there's a lot of altars today there's a lot of altars today but there's only one altar where sacrifice takes place there's only one altar where offerings take place if there's any other altar if there's any other altar and grant well it's going to lie outside of the boundaries of the promise if there's any other altar it's this there for a show it's there to be seen it's there to give some type of indication you know what we serve the same God you do we fight the same battles you fight we're humanitarians just like you we feed the hungry and we do this and that but folks when it comes down to there's no blood on their altar there's no oil of anointing on their altar it's untainted it's untouched it's nothing but for show The only thing that they could say is not look where the sacrifice has been. They couldn't say that. They couldn't say where the, look at where the grain offerings have been. No. They could say look where the sweat of those that have labored at it been. No. All they could say is look at it. See it? There's our altar. Doesn't that look nice? It has a nice appearance, don't it? It's pretty grand. It's pretty immense. It mirrors that which is in the promised land, but it has and serves no function. There's a lot of functionless altars that's around the world today. But I'm glad I've been over Jordan, I'm in the land of promise, and where my altar is is blood. Where well, folks, well, I've decided to be, I've decided to be outside of the perimeter of the promise of God. And we don't want anybody to think in future generations that our commitment and our experience is any less than those on the other side of Jordan. 
Honey, you can't seem to have the same experience when you separate yourself from his house. You can't seem to have the same experience when you separate yourself from what he has divined for you. You can't have the same commitment. You can't have the same commitment when you put yourself at arms and space distance from the majesty of his glory. It just can't happen. You might got an altar, but it serves no purpose. It's nothing but show. got an altar look at it has the same pattern has the same form look at our altar there it is it's big wanted people to see it we got an altar just like you untouched unworn it's an altar that has no stories to tell It's an altar that has no stories to tell. It's an altar. It's an altar that's had no glory on it. It's an altar that's had no blood on it. It's an altar that's a simple, but it's void of any substance. Hallelujah. It cannot maintain a useful and purpose at an altar that's just there to be looked at because it's on the outside of the promise. It's not within the context of the promise. So it has no use. It has no purpose. It will not be what it needs to be for you or in your life or for generations to come. It must be the altar of his promise. It must be the altar of his presence in order to have any type of function or dynamic that is beneficial to your life. Get my hanky out of one of those pockets, please. Preaching hard, probably have bloodshot eyes tonight. If anybody noticed, it just happened in here lately. I preached so hard, my eyes are bloodshot after service. So somebody help me just a little bit. The voices of the hour is this, is that we are in relationship with God just like everybody else is. See our altar. He's our God too. Yeah, but you traded for being in the land with his presence for a land that suited you. You, you traded for being in the land of his tabernacle, his promise and presence for something that suited you and suited your needs. They said your children might say we have no part in the Lord in verse 26, uh, I believe it was. But in verse 28, they said we can defend all of those accusations by saying look at our altar. Symbol. No function. Because here's the voices of the hour. We fight against some of the same debauchery all of you fight against. Yeah, that's right. uh -huh. We crossed over and fought some of the same battles. We stood for some of the same moral principles. We're just like you, they say. Look at our altar. Folks, listen to me. And I'm being very gentle trying to here tonight. But often there is a common conflict that all people of differing faiths fight against. And there are humanitarian efforts that people of all differing faiths reach out and feed the hungry and help the poor and, and try to be benevolent toward those that are in need. But the lines of distinction fall at the Jordan River. That's the boundary. That's the border. They fought the Jordan River. What are you talking about, brother? I'm talking about New Testament scripture. You know where all times people were baptized at? Beth Arba, the Jordan River. It was the river of descent. It was known for its death or dying. Amen. It was a very depressed low level. Amen. Leading out to the Mediterranean Sea. As a matter of fact, on the east side of Jordan was mountains and on the west side of the Jordan was mountains. In so much from the height of the mountain to the edge of the water at times could be a difference of 3,000 to 4,000 feet. Someone hearing me. 
So the border of the Jordan was, it was flanked by mountains. But in order to cross over, you had to descend. Jordan was the place where baptisms happened. One writer even said, said all times, that I don't know where he gets his information. Amen. Maybe from Josephus. I don't know. But he said all times at the baptismals of Jordan, they would stand on the eastern bank that was not in the land of promise. And they would get baptized because on the eastern bank, that's a foreign land. That's a land outside of the promise. He said they would get baptized and come out on the other side on the western bank which was the promised land with safety, with protection, with new life with God. What are you saying? Well, we have the same humanitarian efforts as you do. Yes, sir, we do. We fight against some of the same debauchery that you fight against in this world. Yes, we do. See, look at our altar. That's fine. But the border and the boundary falls at Jordan. A lot of things get dissimilar at baptism. A big dividing line between us and them and them and us is baptism because we won't put you down in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost titles. We're going to put you down in the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're going to put you down at Jesus. I don't care what your altar looks like. So you're telling me that you're going to stay outside the promise and you're going to make steady trips to the promised land by having to go up 5,000 feet, back down 5,000 feet, cross over, go back up 5,000 feet, and back over to the land of promise. You're telling me you're going to make that type of effort to leave that place that's suitable to you and make the journey to go to the tabernacle and put your offering there and your sacrifice there? No, I'll tell you what's going to happen. That altar that you started to say, hey, it's just something to be seen, you're going to try to sacrifice at your own altar. And when you do that, that's idolatry. Because if you came from either side, and I believe this is with divine purpose, if you came from either side of Jordan and tried to go through the descent and go out on the other side, it was difficult. In the summertime, it was even more difficult because of traveling fatigue and being discouraged with the traveling attempts because of the heat. That 5,000 elevation back down 5,000 elevation. Why? Number one, your adversary don't want you to cross over the Jordan into the land of promise. He wants it to be difficult. But for the same reason he has it posed as that, God wants it to be difficult for you to transgress and go back over Jordan. They had some fear that there may be some difficulties with the two and a half tribes that stay on the east side of the bank because distance, distance is going to be it make it a little little difficult for them to attend the new moons and the feasts that we have. We're requiring all to be there, but are you willing to make the trip to leave what's good? If you wasn't, if you wasn't willing to cross over with all of us, where are you going to find the gumption to cross over just with you two and a half? Look at our altar. Look at it. Ain't that a pearly one? Isn't that fine? Looks just like the one that's in the tabernacle. Yet no blood. See, listen to me. To stay on that side of Jordan. Are you listening? Whenever you look at the, the land of promise and the borders of the land of promise, it was very much so hemmed in. What I mean by saying that, is that a lot of the border of the promised land consisted of waterways. Right? You have the Jordan River. You have the Dead Sea. All the way over toward the west, you have the Great Sea known as the Mediterranean Sea. A lot of the land of promise is hemmed in with waterways. Number one, just as a side note, understand that water is always a place of separation. At the Red Sea, it caused separation between the Egyptians and the children of Israel. 
Amen. Whenever Gideon had his boys together and thought it was the army he was going to, separation had took place at the water. Who was going home and who was going on. And so it's hemmed in with waterways. So there was a certain element. Listen to me. There was a certain element of protection being in the land of promise. Because its borders were waterways. All right? But when you're on the opposite side of the Jordan, you're in a land. If I could describe it as such. I don't have a map. It'd been good for me to have got a map tonight. But it would have been as such. Over here, this is, this is not literal east for us, but it's east for my description here, okay? Over here is the east. Here, I'm the Jordan River. Over here is the west. This is the promised land. So you have the promised land, you have the Jordan River of a boundary, and then right stacked up against that, you have two and a half tribes of Israel. Then beyond the land that they had, you had all the pagans, the idolatry, the heathens, and there was no waterway serving as a boundary to the two and a half tribes that was on the east side of Jordan. And so I believe that Joshua from the very beginning thought, you know what? You guys are going to be leveraged and set up for a little bit more influence from your neighbors. Being on the outside of the promise rather than if you were inside the land of promise. Matter of fact, you might succumb to, because of the difficulty of the nature of traveling, you might succumb to some intermarriage with some of the pagans more so than we. We are because we're surrounded by the waters of separation. Someone say amen. amen. Venus, he was in an uproar. Man, they're putting up an altar. Let's go check this out. There's a group of people. They was going to go do war against their own brethren. He says, guys, if, if you're wanting to build an altar, I like this. He said, if you're building an altar because you think your land's impure, why don't you just cross on over and come to the land of milk and honey where it is pure? Where God's original covenant said it should be had and ought to be had. If you're worried because you can't make no sacrifices there and you have to come over here, then why don't you just come over here to begin with? We'll divvy up the land as it was originally said. And you can have lots over here. But no, that's all right, boys. We're not going to sacrifice on that altar. We're not going to put any burnt offerings there. We're just building this altar so everybody can see it. So that in generations to come, Hopefully, they'll make the assumption that we're one people. That we're one people and we worship the same God you do. God bless it. We just all worship the same God. We're all one people. Has the pattern of the altar in the tabernacle. But it can't serve the purpose. How, how do you think they knew to make it after the pattern of the one that was in the tabernacle? You know what that tells me? Somewhere along the way, they must have originally worshipped at the true altar. Folks, there's been a bunch of stuff that happened in this thing we call religion and religiosity. Because Methodist, Baptist, Lutheran, if you seek back and look back through the roots, they baptized people in Jesus' name. And they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. But you know what's happened? They stayed on that side of the promise. They said, look at an altar. How did you know to make it in the same fashion as the altar of his presence has? Because originally, that's where we serve. That's where we Somebody's not hearing me today because we bent down at that altar years ago, but now we just have an altar for show. And honey, I'm not going to rope them in because there's some Pentecostal churches that have done the same, that have went on the opposite side of Jordan and all they got now is an altar without blood, without oil and it's only there to be seen. And they want to say we still worship the same God, have the same experience that you do. No, you don't or you'd stay in the land of promise.
You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't, you don't. You've left something. You, 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 you've turned your back on something. You've negated something. Yeah, there's going to be points of similarity, but honey, you're just taking factions and portions of this thing. You've not taken all of the land. You've went over and fought some of the same battles, and you've done some of the same humanitarian efforts, but we're not the same. You want to call your name by Israel, but honey, you are living in such a way that you are nothing more but a reproach to your nation. We want it to be a witness. We want it to be a witness. That we're the same faith. That we have fellowship. We're just in different lands. <laughs> Venus, whenever he understood that they weren't going to sacrifice at the altar, he was, he was relieved, really. He was happy that they weren't rebelling against God in that, in that aspect of, of sacrificing at it with grain offerings. Trying to replace the function of the sacred altar. But folks, still yet what they were presenting was nothing more but a face and a facade. That they were no di- there was no difference between them and their brethren that had crossed over Jordan. But I'm echoing in this place tonight. But. I mean, the presumption of the nation of Israel and Phoenix and all of those. Man, there's nothing faulty in them wanting to go and do war and head that direction. When are they seeing an altar being built? For my goodness, why would you want to build an altar if you're not going to sacrifice on it? Why would you want to build one if it's going to serve any purpose? Folks, we consider Reuben and Gad and half the tribe... Manasseh here on the other side of Jordan. You know, we consider the life, and we have walked down this path before. We consider, though, the blessing over Jacob was blessing his children. He came to the tribe of Reuben. He described Reuben as being fickle, as being unstable as water. He even condemned Reuben. He condemned him to the place that, Reuben, your power and your size, you're not going to increase. You're going to decrease. You're going to dwindle in size. You're going to dwindle in size. You're going to lose strength. I want somebody to be encouraged in this place tonight. Say, bless God. We're going to have stock Pentecostal church. Bless God. I just read an article. Not Pentecostal published. Secular Christianity article. Said, why is the Pentecostal movement growing as it is? Secular Christian writer is writing. Stacking against all the other religions of the world. They said, we believe one of the reasons why the Pentecostal movement is growing as it is is because they still endorse that after a person has had baptism in water, they have a baptism in spirit and speak in other tongues. And they believe they're growing like they are because once a person has been baptized in water and speaks in a tongue that they have never been taught, how can you deny that what you just experienced was real? The Pentecostals ain't the ones saying that. But it's Dad and Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh that's saying, hey, what they experience is so real. How can you deny it after you spoke in tongues in a language you've never been taught? We don't have anything like that we can hinge anything on. And so Dad and Manasseh and Reuben, he said, Reuben, you're going to dwindle. You're going to decrease. Your power and vitality is going to go from you. You'll have the appearance of an altar, but it'll have no function. In the song of Deborah, they're supposed to, they're supposed to help their brethren whenever they're in need. I mean, it wasn't just getting into the land, but anytime there was something that broke out in the promised land, they were really supposed to be there at their aid. It's part of the responsibility for them staying where they're at. And here's where the rubber meets the road. You're not willing to fight battles that ain't ain't, uh, 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 benefiting you. 
Because in the song of Deborah, where they went to fight against Sisera and his chariots, 900 chariots of iron and all these things. Whenever we read all of the tribes that were there and those that were, there was one tribe and some others, but one among those that were not. And it was the tribe of Reuben. Not willing today to traverse the mountains to fight some of the battles that maybe I fought before with my brethren. I'm just going to stay here where life is suitable to me with my flocks and my kids and my children. And look, I know I didn't come for the war, but look at our altar. What are you saying? I'm saying in the last days, there's going to be more distinctive lines that, listen to pastor tonight, that battles that they used to fight with us, they're going to refrain from fighting. Are you listening to this man of God up here tonight? You said, well, they fought some of those in years go by, but it's going to get turbulent times that they're going to acquiesce and they're going to back down from even some of the battles they used to fight. Oh, they wouldn't do that. Well, honey, they threw away a lot of truth. If they threw away truth, they'll stop fighting some battles they're fighting right now. Look at our altar. Whenever I read a, when I read of Reuben, man, there's nothing, there's nothing grand about Reuben. You know, no judge ever came from Reuben. No prophet ever came from the tribe of Reuben. No ruler ever came from the tribe of Reuben. No prince ever came from the tribe of Reuben. He chose the other side for the promise. Matter of fact, Reuben had great influence, but it was a negative influence. All throughout the wilderness journeys, whenever they did their encampments, Reuben was encamped by Gad in the wilderness. In so much that whenever it's time to cross over, Gad continues to stay with Reuben. Mm-hmm. And I'm closing. I don't want to take advantage of you good people. Stand with me. But it's been fun while it's lasted. Listen to me. I'm not, I'm not finished. I'm just close to being done. I read in scripture that in a little more than four centuries removed from Joshua 22 that an altar that was built for show to be seen in the end through generations really profited little. Because four centuries removed from there, I read in First Chronicles, Brother Malone, chapter 5, verse 25. And they transgressed against the God of their fathers. And went a-whoring after the gods of the people of the land, whom God destroyed before them, verse 26. And the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pool. King of Assyria and the spirit of Tilgath-Pilneser, king of Assyria. And he carried them away. Listen, even the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. If you read further up in this chapter, the Bible describes those two and a half tribes as being valiant Valiant men, men able to bear buckler and sword and to shoot a bow with, and being very skillful in war. But later, we read that these people that built an altar that would never serve for any purpose of sacrifice, just for show, would be taken away by the gods of those around their perimeter. Because listen to me, being on that side of Jordan, they were totally exposed. Being on that side of Jordan, they were totally exposed. Without the Jordan River and the waterways being the boundary, they were totally exposed. Folks, without your baptism in Jesus' name, I'm not being mean, but I'm being real. Without your baptism in Jesus' name, all you did was got wet.
<laughs> no protection. There's no blood in that water. There's no blood in that water. That priest entered the tabernacle, had the sacrifice at the altar, and then went to the water. Huh? Yeah? And as he went to the water, he went with blood from the altar, the blood that came from a sacrifice. And as he washed, it wasn't just water, but water and blood. That don't happen without sacrifice. And sacrifice is not in Father, Son, Holy Ghost. It's in the man, Jesus Christ. That's what puts the blood in the water. It gives you the protection. Satan, the blood of Jesus is again. Amen. And that's right. My wife's saying you can still be baptized. You can. You can be baptized. You can be baptized and love the name of Jesus Christ. You can cross over Jordan. You can cross over Jordan. You don't have to continue to live on the opposite side. You can cross over Jordan. But let it be with the purpose, please, that you're not going to go back. Because let me tell you, it's difficult. I tell you what, I don't think I want to, I don't think I want to climb 5,000 elevation back down and back up 5,000 elevation to turn around and go back that direction outside of the promise only for someday whenever I think you know what I'll get my act together I'm going to go at 5,000 back honey that's only a one time trip I really want to make but people weary themselves with making the trip back and forth across Jordan look at our altar we need more than an altar that's just going to be for show it's just going to be for some representation because we don't want to lose face about where we really are. Hallelujah, brother and sister Mason, come. Hallelujah, let's bow our heads. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.